we didn't plan the service very well because now I have to follow that. Kara, that is, in, is incredible. <clears throat> Music is such a powerful form of prayer. Amen. Um, <clears throat> before we get into the uh, content of the sermon, I just wanted to mention next week uh, one other thing uh, that wasn't in the announcements. Um, next week is uh, Catonsville Emergency Assistance's uh, Christmas in July. Um, and uh, basically, it's a big food pantry um, uh, collection that they're doing uh, right over in, in, in Bloomsbury there. And so next week, um, if we could bring food pantry items and uh, really anything that is the normal food pantry items, and it's, it's going to be in your, I think it was in your Inu Hope last week, um, last couple of weeks, um, that you can bring and just pile back by the, um, the radiator uh, back there behind there. There's one bag back there, and let's hope there's a whole lot more bags back there next week. Um, and uh, then right after service, uh, if anybody wants, there's actually going to be kind of an event, you know, um, down at Catonsville Emergency, Catonsville Emergency Assistance, CEA, um, and uh, we'll go down and deliver that to them. So, <clears throat> yeah, uh, and also, uh, yeah, really looking forward to the baptism as well. August 8th, I'm sorry about the kind of the, the differences in dates. I know we had originally said it was going to be today, um, but we were making sure that schedules lined up and locations lined up, and we really wanted to try to find a place in Catonsville, uh, and this family, um, uh, John and Misty Troll, uh, who are actually on staff at uh, Catonsville Methodist, offered their, their home, which is a beautiful pool, backyard uh, area, so it's really going to be great. Three o'clock on, um, on August 8th. Uh, it's, won't, we won't do a full, full food spread because it's the middle of the afternoon, but we will have like snacks and drinks provided by the church. So, on with the sermon. It has happened repeatedly in shows and movies. The main characters, they travel to like an unfamiliar part of the world and they see, lo and the locals there, they see something that they have, that the main characters have, or, or hear something that the main characters say, and it's misinterpreted, and, and that, that, that they are some sort of gods or like the long lost king, like back from the dead. It, it happened to Donald Duck, it happened to C-3PO, um, and today we read a story of a time when it happened uh, to the Apostle Paul. And we're going to get back to that in a minute. But first, I want us to think about the concept of crowds. Now, I'm not an authority on the subject, but I do think uh, that we, we do read of the concept of groupthink as a psychological phenomenon. In an attempt to simplify or in a desire for cohesiveness, a group, a crowd, misinterprets an event to the point where, where the group as a whole is not really thinking rationally, even calmly, and tragedy can happen when this, when this takes place. People do things in crowds that they never would have dreamed to do alone. We, we see glimpses of this uh, when, when we attempt to leave a sporting event or, or a concert with thousands of people all trying to like move in the same direction. Individually, each person may have had their own personal experience of an event, but when you move through the crowd um, and this massive ocean of people, the people don't even seem human at the moment because you just want to get your car. If you were to watch it from above, you would see this massive ocean of a crowd all moving like cattle because they really can't see anything except for the, the person in front of them, back of the person in front of them at the moment. 
you know, and everything is too close for comfort, and it's so hot, and that guy in front of you sure is wearing a weird t-shirt, and I hold my son's hand tighter and tighter, because what if I lost him in this crowd? Crowds can be scary things. If a person was in your home, and they felt overwhelmed, or scared, or tired, you'd respond to their needs. But in a public crowd, things like sympathy and even manners are easily ignored. And if you are in such a scenario and you suddenly realize now, like watching, like you're in this crowd, you're leaving the O's game or something like that, and suddenly you realize you left your phone back at your seat. And now what you have to do is somehow turn around and go against the grain of the crowd. It becomes, and, and try to make your way slowly back to your seat. It becomes almost impossible to go in the opposite direction from everybody else. In a sense, this is exactly what the early church had to deal with every day. This massive ocean of people were moving in one direction. We might say the direction of the world specifically the Greco-Roman world. And equipped with the gospel, the, the church is expanding outward, making some radical claims along the way, but, but they're facing the wrath of the crowd as they, as they try to move against the grain. You probably know that the word repent is a directional word. It, it literally means when, when Jesus said repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, repent, when he said that, the word repent is a directional word. It literally means to turn around. Sometimes turning towards Jesus' direction can seem impossible. When it seems like the whole world is moving in the opposite direction, that's exactly what we're called to do. But the thing is, we were, we were never called to do it alone. I mentioned the past couple weeks that, that we're watching this Chosen show right now. If you haven't watched it, Run, Don't Walk. It's a fantastic show. And the opening credits of the show is, is just this. It's, it shows all these fish, and they're streaming in one direction. And one by one, as the credits roll on, one of the fish turns around, presumably the first one's Jesus, right? And turns around and turns a different color and starts swimming against the stream. And then all these other fish start following him. And, so, and soon, by the end of the credits, you have this whole collection of like 12 or whatever, you know, uh, fish who are all, you know, different colors, and they're streaming up against the grain. Um, this is the alternative community that Jesus is calling us into. This alternative community that lives uh, maybe against the grain of the world. Turn with me to Acts chapter 14. Acts chapter 14, we'll begin at verse 8. Now, at Lystra, there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking, and Paul uh, looking intently at him, and seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, Stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up, and he began walking. So our story takes place in the town of Lystra, which was basically a frontier Roman colony, which was used for military staging. If it helps in your head, you can kind of think of it as, a, as, a, as an old west town. As such, it, it attracted a, a diverse population of Roman soldiers and Greeks and Jews. Coming from, from the, 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 the church had spread from Jerusalem through Judea. Last week, we saw the action in, in Antioch. And now, in Acts 14, 
we're seeing what would be, uh, the, where Lystra would have been this, this central Turkey, uh, what is now central Turkey. The gospel, so, is headed west. And the first things that happen, one of the first things that, ha- the first thing that happens in the story today is a healing, which we can be thankful for. That, that's a common occurrence, right, throughout the New Testament. We saw Jesus heal people, and we saw Peter heal people, and now we see Paul heal. And this might seem like a no-brainer, but, but the reason why this is such a common occurrence is because this is emblematic, not just of what the church happened to be doing at the time in the early church, but also what the church is called to be today. New Hope Community Church is called to be an alternative against the grain community of healing. It's a place, it's a community where, where broken people can be made whole. Um, I don't think it's a coincidence that so often these healings involve physical disabilities that are starkly metaphorical. Don't get me wrong. I believe the healings actually took place the way that they are described. But, but when we hear a story of a man who had never walked before be told to stand upright on your feet, that's not supposed to be subtle. When a blind man is healed and can now see for himself, we are invited to see ourselves in that as Jesus calls us to see the world through his eyes. Verse 9, it sticks out, doesn't it? When, when Paul's talking to the crowd, but, but, but at some point he locks eyes on one individual. Presumably, Paul was opening his mouth to the crowd. He was delivering the gospel, right? The good news that Jesus had died for the sins of the crowd and been offered and been raised into, um, in, in order to offer new life to all. But, but at some point, something about this guy made Paul focus on him and lock eyes with him. Paul, you know, he was a talker. Um, you can imagine it, it, it took a lot for him to kind of lose his train of thought. But we're told that Paul saw the man, like Jesus saw the crowd when he delivered the Sermon on the Mount. Paul saw the man. He looked intently at him. He looked into his eyes, and he saw faith there. He believed that this Jesus that Paul had been talking about had the power to make him well. And so Paul stops. It just says in a loud voice, Stand upright on your feet. And we don't know if this was intentional. But it is interesting to note that the author, Luke, doesn't put the name of Jesus in Paul's lips right now. You'll remember earlier when Peter healed the guy at the gate, what did he say? He said, I have, you know, the, the, the guy was, uh, was, was asking for, for help. He was asking for, for change, for money. And, and, and Peter said, I, I have no silver or gold, but what I do have I give to you. Peter said, in the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. Again, Acts 10, just a few weeks ago, we saw Peter heal a paralyzed man, Aeneas, by telling him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise up, make your bed. In both of these instances, there was no question of who was really doing the healing. Peter was just the vessel. But here, here all we hear Paul is say a command to stand upright on your feet. Now, that could be just a coincidence. Far be it from me to suggest that the Apostle Paul was far more interested in his own glory than of the glory of Jesus, but it does serve as a point for us to make sure that this alternative healing community that we're supposed to be forming is done in no other name than the name of Jesus Christ. 
There is no other name under heaven by which humanity might be saved than the name of Jesus Christ. We do nothing. We are nothing apart from Jesus in whom we live and move and have our being. Paul himself tells us that, that he is, that Jesus is the, the, the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. In Jesus, all things are held together. May it never be lost that we are a Jesus community and that any good New Hope Community Church is to Catonsville, Baltimore, and beyond is done so by the power and to the glory of Jesus Christ. Dangerous things have happened when churches throughout the ages have taken that for granted and fallen for the allure of whether it be personality or fame or fortune, celebrity, or, or just the power and the authority of certain ministers or church leaders, rather than the Lord and Savior those figures are supposed to be proclaiming. We see this across denominational lines. It's happened throughout, the history, and throughout history. And so as a pastor, it's extremely important that you see me and hear me waving my arms and saying, guys, I'm not the guy. It's not me. I'm not the guy. I just point to the guy. I'm not the guy. I just point to the guy. And here's what happens when we get that wrong. Acts again, 14, picking up in verse 11. And when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in Laconian, the gods have come to us in the likeness of men. And Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul, they called Hermes because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance of the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. So as I mentioned before, this is a frontier town. And this is the days before like mass media. So, so language barriers were common and as you move from like town to town. The world of the New Testament had been rocked uh, centuries earlier by Hellenism in the, in the centuries prior uh, after the exploits of Alexander the Great. So the Greek language was the connective tissue, um, but it, it wouldn't have been uncommon for visitors to struggle to understand local dialects and, and tongues. So we get the impression here that the crowds had, had gathered to, and, and understood Paul to some, some degree, but it wasn't until Paul did the action of healing the crippled man that, that, that the crowd really reacted the way they did. And they reacted by speaking Lyconian, which wasn't a language that Paul and Barnabas were familiar with. And the crowd, you know, it must have, have looked rather positive initially. You know, it must have been like, well, this is a good sign. Everyone was in awe and wonder. Proper responses. Maybe a few of them were making motions of worship. Also not inappropriate. And you get this kind of humorous moment. It's okay to laugh at this. When, when Paul and Barnabas might have like said to each other, wow, this is going really well. Well, look how, look how excited they are. Oh, this is, they're really responding. Why are they pulling at my clothes? What, what's going on? What's, what are they doing with that cow? You know, and all of a sudden they realize that a whole bunch of stuff is going on here that's not supposed to happen. And the crowds have misinterpreted what happened. The crowds have misinterpreted the messengers as the message. The Roman poet. Ovid tells a tale that, that probably would have been familiar to the people of Lystra. Uh, the tale says that the, the gods, Jupiter and Mercury, the Roman equivalents of Zeus and Hermes, 
They disguise themselves as mortals and visit a thousand homes looking for a place to rest in, rest in that same region. And one after another, the homes deny them hospitality until finally they, they come to this humble dwelling of a poor elderly couple who invite them in. Eventually, the gods reveal their true identities, and they reward the couple, and they punish everybody else who was inhospitable. So, so when a miracle happens before their eyes, we can't blame the crowd too much for thinking that the event was connected to the stories that they had grown up all their life hearing. You know, it, it's like if you were in your, your trailer on, on, on a dinosaur dig, and a rich old man shows up offering you to fly, him, you know, to, fly you to his island and ask you for your endorsement of his special zoo in Costa Rica, you'd be like, wait, I've seen this before. You know, a man who had previously been known not to be able to walk was now walking and springing, right? In fact, Luke Luke tells us the man sprang up. In the absence of other information, we can't blame the crowd for going to their common understandings of how the world worked. And in the Greco-Roman Empire, that meant we're thinking about Roman gods. The lesson for us that is, is that, that this is why the gospel has to be proclaimed in both word and deed. There are plenty of examples, yes, especially in our days when the actions of Christians don't match up to their words. There are plenty of examples of folks being all talk and no walk, and Scripture tells us that, that the sharing of the gospel has to be done, should be done with gentleness and respect. But may it never be said of us that when we were given the opportunity to give an account for the hope that is in us, we pointed at anything less than Jesus Christ. What was the immediate response of the crowd? Worship. They saw this incredible thing and their first reaction was worship. Makes sense. They wanted to worship Paul and Barnabas because they thought they were gods in the likeness of men. Now the funny thing is, God had come in the likeness of men. And he had said things like, whatever you do for others, you do for me. The the response of the crowd was reasonable. They had seen something that was indeed absolutely remarkable. The question was, are they going to give credit to the one true God, or are they going to continue following the crowd, the current of the crowd? This is where Paul and Barnabas realize what's going on. We're told that they they tore their garments, which would have been like a traditionally Jewish response to blasphemy or sacrilege. Um, They wanted to get the crowd's attention. They wanted them to know that what they were doing, although it was the world's standard response to kind of remarkable things, uh, we are about something different here than what you guys are doing with this. We're not magicians who do tricks for your amusement so that you'll worship us as gods. In fact, guys... We, this group of Jesus followers, this church, this assembly, this movement, we we are participants in God's transformative mission of healing and redemption. We are ambassadors of God's kingdom. We are proclaiming that King Jesus is actually the one who is Lord and Savior to all. So, continuing uh, down in verse 15. Um, when the, actually verse 14, when the apostles, Barnabas and Paul, heard of it, they tore their garments and they rushed into the crowd, crying out, men, why are you doing these things? We also are men 
of, of nature, like with you, we're, we're dudes just like you guys are. And we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things, these gods that aren't really gods, to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. You know, in past generations, Paul says, he allowed, God allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways. Yet he did not leave himself without witness, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and, and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. This is brilliant. And it's something that we would do well to imitate, I think. When Paul proclaims the gospel, we'll see it here, and then we're going to see it next week again at Mars Hill. He doesn't do so from the point of view that, that, that what he has to share with them is like some completely foreign philosophy or religion. No, he taps into their existing emotions, their experiences, their culture. He points to something that they know full well is good and right and joyful. And he says, that, that right there, that, that right there, that, that was the one true God the whole time. Uh, guys, have you ever been overwhelmed by the beauty of the sunrise over the sea? Have you ever been so grateful that the rains came when they did that you had to just stand in the field while the rain poured down on your face? Have you ever tasted food that was just so delicious that it seemed to warm your soul? You might not have known his name before today, but that was the living God who made all of that possible. Have you ever, have you ever held a newborn child in your arms and been unsure of what to do with all of the emotions that are welling up inside of you? That is how God feels about you. Every joy that you have ever experienced has been a gift from the one true God in whom we live and move and have our being. It's more than that, though. The sadness, the pain, the brokenness, the tragedy that comes from living in a world oppressed by violence, this living God was there too. And he wasn't standing at a distance this God feels your pain and then does something about it. Every tear that you have ever cried, he has cried as well because he cares so deeply about the brokenness of this world. Here's the good news. He loves this world. And get this, imagine Paul and Barnabas saying this to these, these folks, he, he, to, the, to the Gentiles. He loves this world. He loves our world so much that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life, possess the eternal kind of life. That's John, not Paul, I know, but you get where I'm going. God is creating an alternative community, moving against the grain of the crowd, that is actually, isn't against the grain of the crowd, or isn't against the grain of the world at all, actually. In fact, it turns out God was creating a community called to be the church, a movement of people who actually are supposed to live life the way we were supposed to live it all along. It's the crowd that was going against the grain, not the church. The thing is, Luke doesn't tell us how much of the gospel that Paul actually got out. And he ends the story on a few dark, but ultimately, I think, encouraging notes. Verse 18 even when these words were 
They scarcely, even with these words, they scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifice to them. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul. They dragged him out of the city, leaving him for dead. But when the disciples gathered around him, he rose up, entered the city, and the next day he went on with Barnabas to Derby. Work of the gospel. It's a daily grind. Paul's words barely made an impact on the crowd, although considering that the gospel is spreading so fast, and that's a historical fact, we, we have to assume that, that some did hear him. Others, though, they were so caught up in the current of the world's brokenness, they continued with the crowd. But, but the good news, the good news is that it, it, that isn't the end of the story for them or, or for any of them, for any of us. God has always been about the business of cosmic reconciliation in Christ. And from that day to today, he has called his people to proclaim his gospel over and over and over again until he returns. The hard truth is that that turning around in that crowd and going in the opposite direction is often going to cause you pain. It'll be hard enough to keep yourself on your feet, let alone convince others to turn around with you. Luke tells us that the Jewish leaders from Antioch and Iconium came when, when they heard what Jesus, the Jesus followers had been doing. And, and you see, those Jewish leaders, those leaders, those religious leaders, they had tasted a bit of what the crowd tried to do to Paul and Barnabas. They, they tasted a bit of the lie that the messengers are the message. And the leaders, like, like the Pharisees, were keepers of the law. Their, their hope was that in keeping the law, the people would be pure enough for the Messiah to come. The, the thing is, many of them still needed to get, was that the Messiah actually came to make them pure by the blood of the cross. The thing is, uh, religion religion can be a powerful idol. Religious leaders can become the people with answers and easily become the people with power. Power can corrupt And anyone who is perceived as a threat to that power is a threat to them. And the response is often violence, persecution, sometimes war. So we hear Paul is stoned and then dragged out of the city, left for dead. Perhaps as he was being, after he was stoned, he was dragged out of the city and he he sees that, that temple, that temple to Zeus that we had heard about. This messenger of God is left for dead not by pagans, but by the leaders of Israel, the people who were supposed to be the blessing of the the world. But remember here, it's really important that we say this, the Jews aren't the bad guy. Human beings are. We're all the bad guy. It's so easy for us to follow the crowd and fall for the lie to, to feel threatened by others who have power. The gospel of Christ is this, though. Jesus loves the bad guys. Paul himself says in Ephesians, in Christ, we have redemption. Through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. 
which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will. He made that mystery known to Israel, and now He's making that mystery known to the Gentiles. Making known to us the mystery of His will according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things Jew and Gentile to unite all things, to be about the business of cosmic reconciliation, all things to unite all things in Jesus, things in heaven and things on earth. So Paul, he's lying there, and he's bleeding, and he's hurt, and he's exhausted. And what happens? His friends gather around him, maybe even some of the new friends that he had just made in Lystra. And they bring him some water, and they bandage his wounds, and they help him to his feet, and he lives to preach another day. Because you're not going to get everyone in the crowd to turn around all at once. Not even in your lifetime. The work of the gospel, it is the daily grind, and we are all called to follow that lead. You do what you can do today, and then When your head hits the pillow, you trust God for the rest. You do what you can for today. You exhaust yourself for the sake of the gospel today. And then when your head hits the pillow, the the wrong choices that you made, the right choices that you made, the, the work that didn't get done, you're trusting God for all of the rest. Because because here's the truth. He is for you. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your faithfulness to New Hope Community Church. I thank you for your faithfulness to this community, that we can be a community that gather around each other, that support each other, that, that, that encourage one another in the work of the gospel, in, in the work of life, in the work of parenting, in the work of marriage, in the work of if all the things that we're involved in, Father. I just thank you that that we can be a community of doing life together. And I just would would encourage, I want to just give a word of encouragement to anybody hearing this right now, that, that if they're exhausted, if they're broken, the word from you, the word that we just read from, from Ephesians, the word is, is redemption. Redemption is about to happen. Redemption is possible. It's it's inevitable. Redemption is the thing that is offered by Jesus Christ. That's the the message of the gospel, this message of cosmic reconciliation. This gospel is going out to all people, that that, that all things, all individuals, all people, all men, all women are going to be united to the glory of Christ, united in Christ. Father, you're calling us home. You're calling us to to be a people defined by you, finding our identity in nothing else but you. Help us to live into your faithfulness. Help us to live into your new creation promise. In the most holy name of Jesus Christ, I pray.